I'm going to ask Nathan if he could just to kind of hang tight there for just a second. You know, that we've been going through the book of Acts here for, uh, for a few months now, I guess, about three months or so. I think this is the 16th message we've done, so a few months or so. And, uh, you know, in our first service, we took time before we started the message just to give some folks time to pray. And I've asked Nathan, or we'd like to ask Nathan to stick around for a moment just to play quietly and uh, just to ask you, some of you, just to slip out in just a moment to come and pray before we look in God's Word. You know, I'm convinced the more we, uh, the more we come and with each week that passes as we go through this book, that God wants to really challenge us. You know, I, I read the book of Acts and I read some of these men and women that were early followers of Christ in the first century. And man, I'll tell you, it, it's a real challenge <laughs> to my devotion to the Lord and to my walk with God. And uh, it, it's a challenge to the way I uh, you know, seek to, to live out a Christian life in this world where He's placed me, not as a pastor, but as just a Christian the way you are. Many of you are, and uh, you know, we. I believe that God wants to really do a work in us as individuals and as a church to really rattle the cage in some areas and to really take us deeper and take us wider. And we need to be real receptive to that. And so, the book of Acts is a very, very, very challenging book, if not one of the most challenging in all of Scripture when we look at ourselves in light of these early followers of Christ. And so this morning, before we even dig into the message, I'd just like to ask those of you who feel compelled, who feel led, have a relationship with the Lord, just to come and and let's just take a moment to pray that God would really use this book to challenge us, to take us deeper, and to take us wider. First service, we had the front just covered, and I hope certainly this time will be the same. So why don't you just slip out. If you have an opportunity, you're no more than three or four seats from an aisle. I'm sure most people there will be glad to let you out and uh, they won't rifle through your purse while you're gone. So you slip out and uh, let's just take a moment to pray and ask God to really challenge our hearts. Take us deeper as a church and certainly that starts with each of us as individuals. And so I'll give you a second to pray and then I'll, uh, I'll close this time with a prayer and you can go back to your seat. for this time you've given us as we've begun to walk through now this book of scripture, this extremely challenging book of the Bible that that you've given us. It paints a picture for us, for many of us at least, um, that we strive for in our Christian walk and in ministry as a church. And Lord, we see the early devote the devotion of these early followers of Christ. And for many of us, Lord, as we take inventory of our own walks as believers, we realize that we've got a long way to go. And so, Lord, I pray, knowing that the hardened heart is often the greatest obstacle to your work, I pray that you'd use this book as we go through Acts to soften our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't need to be broken by you, but Lord, that we'd be responsive to the challenge that comes each week, not from me, but from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open its pages every week, every Sunday that we come together, I pray that you would take us deeper as a church and as Christians, that you'd take us wider. Lord, that we would be responsive to what you want to do in our lives, that when you lead us out of our comfort zones, Lord, we'd be willing to go because we know that you're the one who leads. And so, Father, I pray that our church would step into days that have never been more fruitful, that we'll see these islands impacted with the gospel. And my desire is that, that these islands, all 25,000 people who live in this area, would be confronted and come face to face with the love that's demonstrated through our lives and with the truth of the gospel that can change any person who yields to the message. And so we pray that many would come to know Christ in these days ahead, that our church would be stronger and Lord, that we would be deeper and wider, and that, that the fruit that comes would only serve to give you glory. And so thank you for these that have slipped out to pray, for those in their seats that are praying. Lord, may, uh, may this message be one that you use still 
to, uh, to challenge us in our walks with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for slipping out. Those of you that prayed, thank you for taking time to do that. <clears throat> Those of you that are still seated, when you get back to your seat, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And you can hold your spot there in that chapter. We've been in the book of Acts now for... Like I said, about three months or so, I don't remember exactly what month and day we started this series, but I love to preach through books of the Bible. There are times we'll do topical series. I did a seven-week thing on pride one time, other topical series we've looked at, but my, my real heart is to preach through books of the Bible. I think that helps us to understand really from a big picture you know, why God says some of the things that he does in Scripture. And so we started in the book of Acts. It's 28 chapters long. We're starting chapter 6 today. have no idea how long we'll be there. Uh, I don't have, I'm not smart enough to schedule it all the way out through the end of chapter 28. I uh, mentioned the first service, who knows, Hannah may hear it when she graduates from uh, high school, and she's only five right now, so we'll see how long we're here, but regardless, every week is a challenge, at least to me, as I prepare, and uh, hopefully for you it is as well. So chapter six is where we're going to be here in just a moment. I'm sure for many of you, you have at times been engaged in something that was real important, but because of a distraction, that thing that was most important got pushed to the side. Uh, maybe for you, you've had opportunities or instances, I should say, not opportunities, where you've had a meal that maybe burned up on the stove because the phone rang or because you know, one of the kids needed attention or because somebody came to the door and you, you were in the midst of something that was very important, but a distraction pulled you away from it. Well, this past week, I was uh, traveling across town, going to the south side. And you know, whenever you leave the island to go to the south side, it's like going to North Jacksonville. I think we all understand that. And so I had left the island and, and uh, crossed the big bridge, and I was making my way towards a restaurant to meet uh, um, a fellow who's been visiting here recently and, and that I was really, really wanting to get to know. And we had a great time getting, to, getting to, to meet each other a little more, but I was traveling to meet him for lunch, and, uh, and I was talking on my phone, and this is going to serve attention to you, not to be near me when I'm driving <laughs> based on the story. So I was talking on my phone, and, uh, and I missed Truman Parkway. Now, if, if, you, if you ever miss Truman Parkway, you know the, the, just the, <laughs> the, the heartbreaking sorrow that is, because I had to go old school. I had to go all the way to Abercorn, and then all all the way out of Abercorn to where I was going on the south side. And that was, you know, to me, I'm just thinking, oh, this is just, this is just horrible. This is terrible. And, uh, and as a result of it, I was late for where I needed to be. But it was a reminder that oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can be distracted from things that are the most important, things that need our attention we miss because we're distracted by something less. Now, when we get to this, this passage, you'll see in chapter 6, I believe that's a great example of it, that we're going to find the early church, there are a lot of people that have come to Christ at this stage in Acts chapter 6. They've come to Jesus, many of them are following him, obviously looking already to turn the world upside down with the message of the gospel, but there is going to be a distraction that comes that is going to potentially cause them to miss the bigger work that God wants to do. And if they don't deal with the issue here, then ultimately the message of the gospel is going to be impacted negatively as a result. But at the same time, what this passage is going to paint for us is that there are often needs in our midst, in our midst that get missed, they get overlooked, because we are distracted by things that don't matter nearly as much. And so in Acts chapter 6, we're going to pick up at a second in verse 1, and I'll just tell you, we're going to be in this passage for two weeks. Next week, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the role of deacon, because we'll find here, though that word is not used in this passage, certainly we see a picture of what the early deacons looked like, the responsibilities they carried are going to be reflected here. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to take some time to sift through Scripture. We're going to see a lot of passages, and I want us to look at the heart behind this passage we're going to read. Many of us have a tendency to read these seven verses in Acts 6 that start off this chapter, and all we see are what the Bible, is what the Bible says about deacons, but we miss the heart behind why this passage says what it does. 
And so we're going to look at the heart behind this passage, and I believe what we're going to identify is a real distraction. Not a distraction, but something we've missed because we are so easily distracted as Christians and as churches today. And so pick up with me there in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to look at a message entitled, Responsibility for the Needy. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 7. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now let me just stop there for a moment because there's a tension that has arisen here in the midst of this Christian church. These are believers from a Jewish background, and you've got two groups of them. One are the Hellenistic Jews, meaning these were the ones who were of a Jewish heritage. They were a part of what the Bible calls the diaspora or the scattering. They had left the city of Jerusalem, had lived in other outlying areas, other areas that were even further away. And yet for this potential, or for this uh, specific point in time, they were back in the city of Jerusalem for whatever reason, they had come home again. But they brought with them certain uh, a certain uh, uh, influence of the Greek culture. They were enculturated cultu- to the Hellenistic uh, way of living, to the Greek form of life. And so they kind of came back as like the big city people, so to speak, come back to the country, right? So they, they've been influenced. They're still Jewish by heritage. They've been influenced by the, by the Greek culture in which they live. And now they're back in the city of Jerusalem. Well, also in the midst of this early church were the native Jews, the Hebrews, the ones that, that were still very rigidly uh, 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 observant of the, the Jewish way of life, but they had chosen to step out of Judaism into the Christian faith. They had surrendered their life to Jesus. They had come to Christ in salvation for forgiveness of their sins. And so they, had, they were still Jewish by heritage, but they had left the, the, the Jewish faith to embrace Christ. And so you've got one church with these two groups here in Jerusalem, the Hellenistic Jews that had been enculturated by the Greek culture, and you've got the Hebrew, the native Hebrew Jews. They're all believers here, but there's somewhat of a divide. And the problem in verse 1 is that some of the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked by the native Jews whenever food was being distributed. And there was a potential divide that was being created that would disrupt this whole uh, the, 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 uh, the entire church if it wasn't addressed and dealt with. And so that's the issue that's taking place here. You've got widows that are being overlooked in the distribution of food as a result of the Hellenistic Jews that are just being distracted and are missing the need there that's amongst them. Verse 2, it says, So the twelve, the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples, and they said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, it doesn't mean that the apostles' ministry was more important than than those who would serve tables, so to speak. They were both equally important. They were just two different areas of ministry. So you've got the apostles that are wanting to preach and teach the gospel and God's word. And then you've got these seven men that we're about to name that would be set aside to meet the physical needs of these widows, and we would assume others in that church family as well. Look at verse 5. It says, This statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading. 
And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So this is a tremendous work of God that's taking place here. God is at work in the midst of this early church. People in Jerusalem are being led to Christ out of Judaism into the re- a relationship with Jesus. And God is at work on many different fronts through the ministry of this church. Now, in the midst of this activity that God is performing here, we find this potential disruption. And it's a group of people in their midst, the widows that are named specifically, that are needy. Being a widow in the first century meant you practically lost everything. If you did not have your spouse or your husband specifically, if you did not have children that could help provide for your means, then it was a very, very difficult road for you ahead. And so this was a potential disruption here, that if this need was not addressed, this church could split right down the middle from the very earliest days, and the advancement of the gospel would be impacted as a result. And so we find that it's addressed. We're going to dig in next Sunday to see a little more detail of how it was addressed. But this morning, I want us to look at the heart behind this passage. In other words, what does God say about our responsibility as Christians to those who are needy amongst us? And we just say... This is going to be an extremely challenging message, not because of what I'll say, but because of what I'll read (laughs) that's already been said here in the pages of God's Word. It's going to be a cage rattler, I'm just going to say, and we're going to be faced with the question as Christians and as a church, what in the world are we going to do about this passage of Scripture? And so to start with the heart of this passage, let's just go back a little bit further in the Old Testament and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to roll the, uh, the references, not the, the actual written out verses, but the references on the screen for you. If you're a new believer, if you're not real familiar with where the books are in Scripture, that's okay. The more you study, the more familiar you'll become. But if at the very least you could jot these down, I'll read the passages, and then you can look at them later. If you're able to keep up, that'd be great. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15 is where we're going to start. To look at, at, at the heart behind the passage of what God says about our responsibility to reach those who are needy, specifically the needy amongst us. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy is a book. It's, it's the book where the, the law is being given a second time. It's not a different law. This is the retelling of the law. And the setting is in the days of Moses. It's about 1,400 years before Jesus would come. Uh, it's about 1,400 years before the beginning of the New Testament. And we find that Moses is preparing these Israelites. They've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. He's preparing them to step into the promised land. Now, Joshua would be the one to lead them. It's the next book in line. Joshua will lead them in there, and they'll go in and take the, take the promised land. Remember Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. That's going to come the next book. Moses is preparing them for that event, and he's giving them the law again. Interestingly, notice what he says here in chapter 15. And I want you to hold this spot because we'll come back to it. But listen to what he says in chapter 15 as we pull out some of these verses. Verse 4 in Deuteronomy 15. He says, However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all this commandment which I'm commanding you today. Look up in verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in other words, one who is amongst, in your midst, in any of your towns, in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him what, uh, sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Look down in verse 10. You shall generously give to him. 
And your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. And so we find here in the earliest days of Israelite culture, God is commanding His people as they prepare for this significant event, going into the promised land, for goodness sakes. He's telling them, don't forget to minister to and meet the needs of the poor and the needy that are in, not just in the land, but are specifically in your midst. Well, let's move ahead just a few centuries to the prophet Isaiah. Move there to Isaiah chapter 1. And I want you to, to find here what God says specifically through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah. God is going to talk now through Isaiah to show what it looks like when we do what is right, when we do what is good, and what we do what is, when we do what is proper. Interestingly, you're going to notice a similarity in language that he uses, what God identifies as right behavior. Isaiah chapter 1. Look down in verse 16. Isaiah 1 verse 16. He says, Wash yourselves... Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. This is God speaking. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. And then listen to the last phrase of verse 17. He says, defend the orphan and plead for the widow. You know, interestingly, what Moses had said to the people of Israel centuries before, about 700 years before now, we find that God's going to say much the same thing through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah. He speaks specifically of the orphan, to defend the orphan, and of the widow, to plead the case of the widow. Move one more book forward to the book of Jeremiah. Let's find what God says through the prophet Jeremiah here in this context. Again, he's going to sound very, very similar. Putting all these verses together to help us to understand the heart of Acts chapter 6, and our responsibility to the needy. Let me give you a little context because it's going to be helpful for this passage in Jeremiah chapter 22. In chapter 22, we find that God, through Jeremiah, is going to speak through a king by the name of King Jehoiakim. Now, king Jehoiakim was not a king that was always honorable in God's sight. However, his father, Josiah, was. King Josiah, before him, had been one of the greatest kings that Judah would ever have. He led reforms, spiritual reforms in the land. He did much good that caused the land to prosper, brought God's blessing. However, for King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, he did not follow in the footsteps of his father. And I want you to listen to what is said here in Jeremiah chapter 22. I want you to look down specifically in verse 15 to what God has to say to this king, King Jehoiakim. He says in Jeremiah 22, verse 15, Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? In other words, do you think it's because of the house that you live in that you're a king, that that's what makes you a king? <laughs> in other words, there's much more that makes you a king who is right, good, and just. He says, did, you, did not your father, that is Josiah, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And then it was well with him. And here's what he did, verse 16. He pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. Then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? And so we find here yet again through the prophet Jeremiah that God is hammering 
on the need for those who are righteous to care for the needy, for the impoverished, for those who are afflicted amongst them. He mentions already up through this point, we find that they've mentioned the orphan, they've mentioned the widow specifically. Any who are in physical need, he makes mention that there is an obligation and a responsibility, if not a mandate for the Christian who knows God to reach out to them. Let me get you to turn to another passage. You're getting a little Bible aerobics here this morning. Look to the book of Micah towards the close of the Old Testament. Listen to what the prophet Micah has to say in Micah chapter 6. Again, it's going to lay out for us a picture of what God desires from the, from the person who claims to know Him. That we can speak outwardly with our lips all day long, but God's looking for an authentic walk that, back, that, that, that validates, that backs, that authenticates our words. And He's going to show us again in Micah chapter 6 a little bit of what that looks like. And so Micah chapter 6, verse 8. By the way, I'm really glad I have little thumb indexes on my Bible. That was a $10 well spent. And uh, that's a good thing. So don't ever feel bad if you've got to use them. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Now you would think whenever it says to us, here's what God requires. <laughs> this is going to be an important statement that's coming up. And he gives us three things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. All three of those obviously fit into the context of helping those, ministering to those, giving to those, reaching out to those who are the needy amongst us. And so all through the Old Testament, what we find here is that God paints a picture for us of a responsibility to care for those amongst us who have needs in their lives, the needy amongst us. Look to Matthew chapter 25, first book of the New Testament. What we find here is that now we move to a different era. We move into the New Testament era. Jesus in the first century is walking with his disciples, speaking to the crowds, teaching regularly. And we're going to find what does Jesus have to do with what the Old Testament says about those who were the needy amongst us. How will he respond? Will he take a different attack, a different approach? Or will he choose to basically uh, uh, build on what was said in the Old Testament? Let's find here, Matthew 25. We've got a lengthier passage mentioned there on on the overhead. Let me just shorten it for the sake of time just a little bit. Look down in Matthew 25 to verse 35. Jesus is speaking. Notice what he says here. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so what Jesus does is that he takes the words of the Old Testament and he picks them up and he drops them down into the New Testament era changing absolutely nothing, but simply emphasizing the responsibility of those who know God to meet the needs of the needy amongst them. You see, even the disciples would have understood this. Because if you remember in John chapter 12, whenever Jesus is 
uh, whenever Mary of Bethany anoints the body of Jesus, remember John chapter 12, she breaks that perfume. It was worth a year's wages, and she anoints his body for burial, uh, knowing the cross was on the way. What, what, is, what, is it, what do his disciples say? They say, Lord, don't you know that that money could have been sold, and the money given to poor people? That perfume could have been sold, and we could have put it into cash, and that money could have been given to poor. Even the disciples, and their hearts were all wrong, but they understood there was a mandate from God to care for the needy. And so we look in the days of Jesus, he understood exactly, and he emphasized, and he supported, and he even strengthened what the Old Testament had said. Just listen, you don't have to turn here, but just listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Which brings us all the way back now to the book of Acts. Why did the people, these early followers in the book of Acts, why did they live the way they did? It was because of the mandate from God that they were convinced of that began in the Old Testament that was validated by Jesus and that was to be lived out then by them. In fact, just look in the book of Acts and, and we'll begin to see. Look in chapter 2 in Acts. We'll begin to see how this was lived out. We've looked at these verses already, but... Just to look at them in this context. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look down at verse 44. And all those who had believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Why did they do that? Because they knew what the Old Testament said. They knew the heart of God. Look in chapter 4. Just move over to chapter 4 for a second. Look in verse 34. We'll see how good they were at what they did. Verse 34 of Acts chapter 4. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And we get to Acts chapter 6. Why is it that they would choose these seven men who would paint the picture of what it meant to be a deacon? Why would they choose those seven men in Acts chapter 6 to care for the needs of the widows, to make sure that they were given the food that they needed as a part of the body of Christ? Because they understood the Old Testament and the words of Jesus, and they were willing to go even to an extreme to make sure that the mandate that God gave to be responsible to meet the needs of the needy was accomplished. In James chapter 1, just listen to what this says. James chapter 1, verse 27. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would certainly understand this principle. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. And this is what we would expect. Whenever James says, I'm about to paint for you a picture of what pure and undefiled religion looks like, not to your friends that you're trying to impress, not to your family, not from the world's perspective, but I'm about to tell you, after this colon here, I'm going to tell you what does pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God look like. Colon, and here's what he says, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Man, I can't get away from the fact when I don't read the Bible to try to fit what's comfortable for me, but when I read it for what it says, I cannot get away from the fact that we as Christians and we as a church have a mandate from God, a divine responsibility to meet the needs of the needy amongst us. I just can't get away from it. And there's an interesting twist. To see that, let's go back and we're about to close. 
But let's go back to Deuteronomy 15. I asked you to hold that spot. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I want you to notice something here, real interesting, with a couple of these verses. Look in verse 11, Deuteronomy 15. We've already read it, but just let's emphasize something that we didn't before. Chapter 15, verse 11. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Is that a true statement? Surely surely it is. Are we going to remove poverty from the face of this earth? I I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic. Probably the realistic answer to that is no. I, I don't expect that I'm going to be able by myself or we as a church to remove poverty from the face of the earth. Jesus would even say the same in John 12. The, the poor you'll always have with you, you'll not always have me. Meaning he was going to be ascending back to the Father at some point. It says it there in verse 11, the poor will never cease to be in the land. But look at what he says in verse 4. This is significant. Verse 4, however, there shall be no poor, what, among you. <laughs> you'll never eradicate poverty Uh, The needs of the needy on the face of this earth, Christian, it seems as though Scripture says. But in regards to the poor, the needy amongst you, we're called to remove it. To remove the need. And that's exactly what the believers in the book of Acts did. They sold their stuff so that they could follow the mandate of God written in the Old Testament. And they did it so with such conviction and such passion and devotion, they did it so well that there was not even, Acts 2, Acts 4 says, not even a needy person amongst them. And so what's the answer for us? What does God expect for us as a Christian? Based on these passages we've looked at and the, the picture of the book of Acts, here's what I believe God's answer is. In regards to the needy in the world, in the land, so to speak, God calls us to do what we can to try to alleviate that need, to try to bring some relief to that need. And so we do need to be engaged in serving the world, serving the needs of those around us, doing what we do in the Philippines for example, to those who are impoverished there, but to the needy amongst us who are part of the body of Christ, who've pledged their commitment to the Lord Jesus, who are part of this local congregation that God's given us, what is our responsibility to them? Not to alleviate their need, but to remove their need, to eradicate their need, so that there are no needs in our midst. That is radical. Now I know what you're thinking. Brooks, if we do that, Now, I'm going to have to reach my own pocket from time to time to help a person here in need, a part of this family of faith. And I know what you're thinking. If I do that too much, Brooks, they're going to begin to depend on me. (laughs) Yeah, 2 Thessalonians 3 does say that there is a, I wouldn't even call it a balance, there is a parameter that's there. And it would say if a person does not work, it doesn't mean because the economy is down or they're unemployed. It means if they're lazy, it says if, if a person doesn't work, they don't eat. So yeah, there, there, there is a guardrail. There are parameters there. It doesn't mean that wholesale, the church is supposed to just kind of reach in and reach out and give and give and give and give to people who are just feeding wrongly off of the church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those with genuine needs. Who does the Bible mention? Orphans, widows. There's a whole other list that could go along with that. Those with genuine needs in the body of Christ, it's the church's responsibility to remove the need, period. And what often keeps us from doing that, I'll I'll be quick, I'll be brief. From what I understand, and part of this is in my own life certainly as well, are two things. One is a spiritual issue. We just flat don't want to do it because it'll cost us. (laughs) God, I might have to sell something to be this way. And and this really shakes my comfortable life. 
And so, God, thank you for the insight. I'm glad you're real clear. But God, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) I'm just not. And so there's a spiritual reason we disobey. But I think at times there's also a, there's also a financial reason. Because we, we get so consumed with things to bring pleasure to ourselves that even if we wanted to do this, we can't. Because we've got a list of people saying, you owe me money for things that, let's be honest, only serve to make our lives more comfortable and to keep us from being obedient. So what's the takeaway? Let me, just, let me just summarize it this way. and We usually give the point at the beginning, but today it's at the end. At least it's not pointless. There is one. This is it. I hope you'll jot it down. The body of Christ demonstrates responsibility for the needy within the church when we remove their need. The body of Christ, that's us, those who have made a decision to give your life to Christ, those who have pledged your, your life here at this church as a part of this family. How do we meet the needs of the needy in our midst amongst us, part of the family of faith? How do we do that? We, we answer the responsibility that God places on us when we see their need and we do what it takes to remove it. You know, I could give you a real catchy little way to try to apply this later this week. I could say, why don't you try giving $10 to this effort or next time you see somebody in need somewhere, you recognize a need, you know, do this or do that. I'm, I'm going to avoid that. And, and I'm, you know I'm big on application. I don't like hearing messages that don't tell me what to do with it because I, I need that. But I think today I, what I would hate would be for us to do some fancy little program and you know, two months later it's done and we move on our merry way. This is something that shapes a church. And think about the testimony it would be on these islands if just the churches on these islands that claim the name of Christ took care of their own. <laughs> you think there wouldn't, people, wouldn't be a line of people clamoring to know the Savior that people like that follow? And so there's a lot at stake. A passage perhaps we'll wrestle with, I hope, for a long time until we not only hear but actually apply what it says. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, it's hard not to read a passage like this, and it's hard to read it and not see that against the backdrop is the Savior, Jesus, who applied this very thing in our own lives. When he left heaven, the Bible says he became poor. He didn't lay aside his deity. He was as much God when he walked this earth as he always has been and always will be. But he took on flesh and blood, and he became a man so that we could have an opportunity through his death on the cross and his resurrection to be rich, to be forgiven, and to be right with God. You know, so Jesus himself even applied this in an interesting way. When he took on the cross for us, when he died and when he rose, so that through a life of repentance and a decision to yield our hearts to him, we can have all the godliness, all the righteousness that we need when he attributes it, when he he gives it to us. And so for some this morning, really the step for you is, is not to try to meet the need. It's to embrace the answer that God provides for your need. It's to understand that you need a Savior, that coming to church won't fill the need, that giving money won't fill the need, doing good deeds will never fill it. That what you need is to turn from your sin that separates you from God and to, 
Ask Jesus himself to step into your life and to forgive you and to be first for you. It's a decision many of us have made. I was a little guy when I made that decision. And for some this morning, you're an adult and you've never made that choice. And yet you know that God's brought you to this point to where today the time is right for you to cry out to Jesus and invite him to step in and to forgive you and to be first for you. For you, that's the decision that's needed. And if, if you want to make that choice, then today you have an opportunity. As we sing in a moment, I'll, I'll just simply invite you to slip out and to come to me and say, Brooks, I want to give my heart to Christ. We won't put you on display, but we'll have someone step out with you, walk you through that decision privately. But for those of you that have made that choice, you know, we have to wrestle with, with who we are in Christ and are we going to answer the challenges that he places before us? Are, are we going to take this thing called church? Are we going to take this thing called the Christian life seriously or are we just going to go through the motions? There are times when much is required, but we're, we're equal to the task with, with Christ in us. And so I hope in the days to come, we really wrestle with this principle that we see in the book of Acts. Next week, we'll look at what it says about deacons. But today, let's look at the heart and just simply begin to answer the question, what am I going to do about this? God, we know that the poor will always be in the land, but in the midst of your people, I believe that the picture is that we need to remove the needs of those within the body of Christ the best that we can, that requires sacrifice, it requires a complete change of perspective, and Lord, it requires unity. And so, Lord, we pray, make us the church you've called us to be as a testimony to these islands and beyond that you are still in the business of changing lives. So, Lord, help us to be responsive to where you lead us. And for the ones this morning that don't know you, give them the courage to just slip out in just a moment and to come and just to say to me, Brooks, I need Jesus that they would turn from their sin and give their hearts to Christ to know you as so many of us do. And so, Lord, we thank you for that offer that you make available consistently to us. May we know you, may we follow you. And, Lord, be glorified now in these decisions. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.